0: Welcome to the Elevate the Edge podcast. I'm Maribel Lopez of Lopez Research, and I'm joined with my co host Joe Peterson of Clarify 360. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. Elevate the Edge is published bi weekly. The podcast focuses on helping companies understand what edge computing is, how the market will evolve, and what you need to know to build successful edge computing strategies. Show notes and subscription links can be found at elevatetheedge.com/episodes. We hope you'll enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to the Elevate the Edge podcast. I'm really excited to be here today with my co-host Joe Peterson. Hey Joe.
1: Hey Mirabelle.
0: And we have another fun special guest today, uh, Simon Crosby. <laughs> Simon is the CTO of Swim.ai. I met Simon back when um, we were talking about Bromium, which was a company that he had co-founded at that point in time. And Simon, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you so much, Mirabel. It's great to be here.
0: Okay, so Swim ai it's described as a company that enables customers to drive continuous intelligence from streaming real-time data, uh, can you tell us a little bit in your own words what it does and what you do?
2: Sure. Step back. <clears throat> so yeah. it's this notion of a transaction for data is really important mm. for your account, right? Okay, cool. So that's traditionally been doubled by SQL databases. And then came Google, <clears throat> and yeah. Google started to index everything, and they called it big data. But in the meantime, every single product, every process, every VM, every bit of infrastructure all got instrumented, right? So these things are all sending events which indicate their changes in status and organizations are becoming inundated by event volumes. And they need to make sense of this to be able to react and decide what to do in the world. And so, the business of continuous intelligence is taking these vast amounts of data, bigger than big, bigger than big data, and processing it, analyzing it, learning and predicting on the fly, so that you can decide what to do immediately. And this is important, not only for informing humans, but also for automated functions, so we specialize in applications which remain in sync with the real world. So here's a silly example. You've been in an Uber or an Uber customer, and you have had the car in front of you, but the app still says the Uber is a block away. Mm -hmm. It's not in sync with the real world. So we do that.
0: Ah, you synchronize the real world. That's a much more interesting discussion.
2: (laughs) I I said big is big, right? So here's an example. For Verizon, we deal with five petabytes per day. Okay. That's about, well, it's more than two exabytes a year. Okay. Wow. And that's just one app. So it's about 15 million events a second. And you need intelligence within a hundred milliseconds or so. So it's hard.
0: Joe, I don't know about you, but I'm already intimidated. I'm going to pass the first question over to you as a result of that. (laughs) Joe, you're up.
1: (laughs) Well, So the immediate thing that came to my mind was the synchronization and how that can be a game changer from a business standpoint for certain companies versus others, right? So let's take something like and you tell me but first thing that popped my head was gaming.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Imagine if you're a gamer that yeah. can make that instantaneous for right. a user. That's captivating for that user. Right? right? And that's and that's going to allow them to maybe even buy more, you know, in-app purchases so that they can complete their quest or whatever they're doing in the game. Right. Is that, is that one use case? And what are some of the others you're seeing?
2: Sure. <clears throat> it's a use case. It's not a customer use case for us. Um, there are lots. Um, real-time manufacturing. So we are used um, to predict failures for an, a pick-and-place machine, which is assembling computers. And these machines are soldering chips onto boards And occasionally they make a mistake. And what you want to do is predict when the device needs to be serviced. Um, And you have to do it accurately because if you call Freddy back from lunch and there is no problem, then he gets annoyed. Okay. There are others like flying fleets of drones, um, detecting where things are in automated production line, understanding where fleet is. Automatically dialing 911 when you have an accident. All of these things. Lots.
0: Yeah, it strikes me. Um, the real-time nature of that is really interesting. The volume of data that you mentioned is Dude. astronomical. And when when we think of that, you know, the first use case that you gave us was kind of around predictive maintenance. And we've talked about predictive maintenance for a while now. What makes it different for us to do something like that today to handle that kind of volume, to handle that kind of real-time <clears throat> nature. It's not a new problem that strikes me. We're, we're approaching it a different way.
2: Yeah, by the way, I think predictive maintenance is a terrible problem, and I'll tell you why. It's one of those black swan problems. You can't predict something you've never seen. Okay, and so <clears throat> here's an example. Um, you know, if you're monitoring some widget, and you're processing large amounts of data, you literally cannot predict what's going to happen next when you see something that you've never seen before. And so it's um, in the family of, of events which generally are called black swans. So in the financial trading world, these are called black swans. When you're trying to predict things, that don't behave nicely statistically. Anyway, uh, yes, I, I'm pretty good at firing customers. So I fired one, which was trying to do that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can see how that's been. As I as I noted earlier, it's been a challenge for some time, so I think that's but, one of the things.
2: But here, so here's an example. This customer had 40 large compressors, and they were getting data points, They were getting 70 data points per degree of rotation of every shaft, okay? And the shafts were going at 2,000 RPM, 365 days a year, okay? It's a lot of data. And the reason we decided not to proceed with them was they wanted to store all the raw data. And the last time I saw them, they were queuing up at Fry's to buy hard disks, You know, it just was never going to work. So the key thing is we have to get beyond raw data and look for insights.
0: So let's talk a little bit about that. When we think about the continuous edge concept, Mm -hmm. uh, what does a client have to think about when they're trying to look at that volume of data and that nature of real time? What's, What's the process you walk customers
2: through? The key thing, the first thing is not to store and then analyze. It just doesn't work. So although all your things could be rows in a normal database, most of your insights are derived by looking across columns, like is my phone near yours and what's the meaning of that, right? And so these queries, these materialized views, Have to be continuously executed. And that's just not possible on most databases. And indeed, on most open source software bases, say Flink or so on, time has to be windowed. So you evaluate things every once in a while. Um, But for automation, for sure, it doesn't work. Um, You can't do this once in a while evaluation of complex queries or complex. computations, predictions, whatever. And so you have to continuously compute. And that means that when something changes state, you have to drive, use that to drive computation, re-evaluation of every complex construct. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that does make sense. Because I, as I'm thinking through what you're saying, you're right. It's impossible to get that many to align that many queries at one point in time, right? It's just right. But as I, as I think about solving business problems here Mm -hmm. with your technology, what are the, the, and I know there's lots, right? And you guys are probably just scratching the surface of all the cool stuff you can do, but are there some similarities in terms of verticals that, are immediately grabbing onto your technology and, and what might those be?
2: <clears throat> so we've seen a lot of success in the telco 5G world. Okay. Now why? Well, these are organizations at huge scale ready lots of things, and the things are all electronic and well-instrumented, right? Customers, network elements, and so on. And they distribute, right? The, So if you look at Verizon, you have hundreds of millions of things out there, and they want to improve customer service. So um, organizations which are naturally dealing with instruments and stuff are huge opportunities for us and the first place to go. But any org needs to think about this. Your insights used to be on the basis of ours. So for Verizon, it used to be a 10-hour basis. Um, Know this, your competitor is doing better than you and will deliver insights within milliseconds because computers can.
0: Yeah, this is a challenge of the real-time analytics. Something that you mentioned really resonated with me. That was the concept of, you can't store a bunch of data and then analyze it. You have, to, you have to be acting more in the moment now. And I think that presents a lot of challenges uh, for organizations in terms of rethinking a process. So when you're actually out talking to companies, you know, how much of this is a technology problem versus a process problem for them?
2: It's mostly, I would say it's mostly process. They just don't realize it.
0: The other thing I think is interesting is this concept of how do we infuse those insights back into an application, right? So you bother to uh, take the data, you bother to analyze the data, but then you know part of the process is actually getting that information back into yeah. an application so, and acting
2: on it. Let me try and make this, well, simplifying things. In Verizon, there is a digital twin for everything they care about. And it's running constantly. It's in memory somewhere. It's running at CPU and memory speed. It analyzes events from the real physical thing in real time. And then you can write apps against it. And these apps continuously evaluate complex states. All right, so perhaps the first step is getting people towards digital twins that analyze and learn, right? And then from there, it's pretty straightforward to invent new apps which can use that insight or the insights from lots of things.
1: So I'm understanding you correctly. The digital twin is actually doing some of the machine learning that's occurring.
2: Yes. Am I getting that right? Yeah. If you go to traffic.swim.ai... In your browser, you'll see downtown Palo Alto, where every intersection is predicting its future and streaming its predictions um, to customers or users of the service. So instead of polling a thing and saying, hey, what's your current state, you call it once, and then from then on it streams every time it predicts something new. And so the predictions stream, for example, Directly into Uber's Kafka so that they can automatically optimally route vehicles through the city because they have predictions two minutes into the future. And these are digital twins that learn from their own data and the data of lights around them, well, in sections around them.
0: Oh, interesting. Um, when we look at that kind of Data challenge, do we also see the opportunity to integrate with some other third party data and create yeah. some interesting sure. intersections around that? Yeah.
2: Yes. Well, well, well spotted. Actually, every single, every interesting app has some data which is static. Um, that might have data from multiple sources, from third parties, and so on. And so the key thing is to integrate all these and provide a single live continuous view of every asset that they care about. That's critical. And, you know, Swim is just Java, so we use that. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. But at the end of the day, somebody has to write an app. You know, one of the problems with uh, marketing and AI and all that stuff is people begin to imagine that, you know, if you sprinkle a little AI on some problem, It'll go away. And that's just not the case.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The AI pixie dust to rule them all.
2: (laughs) By the way, I, I wanted to redefine your notion of edge. Edge isn't on the thing or even near you. It's the best place nearby the data where you can compute. It may be private. It may be in the cloud. So, for example, if I have you know, 100,000 VMs in Azure, nearby is some VM in Azure, and that's the edge. Does that make sense?
0: Okay. It totally does. Um, so I think one – I mean, God, there's so many places Although, we go. Although, so
2: just, just one thing on drifting on that theme – the notion of edge say in the Verizon context is 24 regional data centers distributed through the U S. Okay. But edge for a particular use case in manufacturing might be on the manufacturing floor. We just have to deal.
0: I think this is the, the interesting part about this topic, right? So when you say edge computing, it's basically we, Joe and I were laughing. It's like the 10 minutes where you have to decide, you know, which edge are we talking about? <laughs> so right. because there, there are several edges that we're talking about. And, you know, one of the things that you just mentioned, I mean, obviously, uh, service providers have a lot of data and a lot of information. Um, does it differ if you're dealing with a let's say let's say it's a, a factory It seems like the scale would be different, but is the process any different in terms of how they need to think about it?
2: Um, No, the process is the same, though we, I'll tell you a a fail, a big fail for us, Um, and that was the following. Um, Castle was manufacturing aircraft, and every part was RFID tagged. And so Swim just creates a digital twin for every RFID tag. Okay, and then the tags are seen by lots of readers. And so the tags, the digital twins, learn by watching for attenuation. And pretty soon they can place themselves by triangulation in three space. Okay, so suddenly we can see where each part is in the factory. Okay, and then we can see parts come together, close together, to make a finished good. That's pretty wild. The big fail part of this is that we can go from a data center and Oracle and tons of storage to a couple of Raspberry Pis. Okay. And if I can do it on Raspberry Pi, I can't charge a million bucks.
0: Yeah, Well, there's that. (laughs) that. Yeah, that's true. So I know that you are pretty much at the beginning of of this right now, but... I think
2: enterprises are, right? So I think companies are just beginning to realize that there is so much information to be mined from this data. Um, Unfortunately, through the success of Big Data and Snowflake and everything else, they still think that they need to store it all and that somebody go back and derive value from it. There's too much data, too much data out there, and you know they just don't have the tools yet to make sense of data on the fly.
0: Do you think there's certain industries that this makes more sense for um, in the beginning? Like assuming that everybody might need this over time, you know, where do you think you're going to see the the big adoption over the next, say, two years? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, Telco for us has been fab, and I'll tell you some reasons why. Well, one I've told you, they're huge. They have lots of customers, and all their widgets are already streaming events. Um, and then they have an, another key need, which is to deliver customer service to huge scaled-out population, right? You always want to know that you can connect or who's near you or whatever it happens to be. And they're looking for 5G services, so slicing, quality of service, and so on. So they're naturally perfect for this. Um, You know, if your data fits into a database and you can process it on a single Kafka instance locally, you don't need continuous intelligence yet.
0: That makes a lot of sense.
1: Well, we always like to wrap up the podcast with a fun fact. So mm. lots of good stuff we talked about today, but we just want to add sprinkle since we used the word earlier in a little fun. So okay. all right. So topic
2: well, topically, how about this? Um, the city of Las Vegas, the traffic lights produce more data per day than all of Twitter.
1: Come on. Seriously?
2: Yeah. Actually, about five five times as much. So there is more information out there than you can shake a stick at.
0: I don't really, I think for the average listener that's on some kind (laughs) of social media right now, um, that actually makes it easier to, to contextualize like how much information is out there.
2: Right. By the way, I'll I'll give you another silly fact. Um, You know, simply storing and then analyzing forces you to go database speed. Okay? Every time you reach out to a database, you're going a million times slower than the CPU. Okay, mm-hmm. let me tell you what a million is. It's a good comparison between the speed of a snail and the speed of an F16. Whoa. Watch that right. car go. So it's time... <laughs> it's, it's time to get back the benefits of Moore's Law.
0: Okay. Oh my goodness. Wow. Okay. We have we have gone a lot of different places from AI to <laughs> snails to the city of Las Vegas. No, that's exactly what this podcast is all about. I, I'm so thrilled to have had you here to talk about how we're thinking of dealing with large volumes of data moving forward and giving some good examples of how one of the largest companies in the world uh, from a data perspective is probably dealing with that. That's great. Simon, you've been a pleasure.
2: It's great to see you. Thank you so much, Mirabel, And thank you, Joe.
1: Thank you, Simon.
2: So there is more information out there than you can shake a stick at. I
0: don't really, I think for the average listener that's on some kind <laughs> of social media right now, um, right. that actually makes it easier to to contextualize like how much information is out there, right? right? That's By the way,
2: I'll, I'll give you another silly fact. Um, you know, simply storing and then analyzing forces you to go database speed, okay? Every time you reach out to a database, you're going a million times slower than the CPU. Okay, Mm -hmm. let me tell you what a million is. It's a good comparison between the speed of a snail and the speed of an F-16. Well... Watch that right. S go. So it's time, <laughs> it's, it's time to get back the benefits of Moore's law. Okay.
0: Oh my goodness. Wow. Okay. We have we have gone a lot of different places from AI to <laughs> snails to the city of Las Vegas. No, that's exactly what this podcast is all about. I'm so thrilled to have had you here to talk about how we're thinking of dealing with large volumes of data moving forward and giving some good examples of how one of the largest companies in the world uh, from a data perspective is probably dealing with that. That's great. Simon, you've been a pleasure.
2: It's great to see you. Thank you so much, Mirabelle. and thank you, Joe.
0: Thank you, Simon. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe so you can easily find us again. Follow us on Twitter at Maribel Lopez and at Digital Cloud Guy, and on LinkedIn. Links to our social profiles, show notes, and ways to listen to the podcast can be found at elevatetheedge.com.